Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First NAS podcast. The Olympics have been happening over the past week and into the next week. Has anybody been watching the Olympics? Okay, I'm glad to see this many hands because I love the Olympics. It's one of my favorite things that I watch every couple of years. And so this year, um, it's especially different because these athletes have really had to uh, improvise their training. So typically, the athletes would train for so many years, and they would come and show off their hard work and determination. But this year, it is an extra year of training. For those of you who aren't uh, super familiar with the Olympics, um, they were supposed to be the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. And because of COVID and safety concerns, they pushed it back an entire year. And not only are they having to train an extra year, they had to figure out how to train in the midst of shutdown, in the midst of social distancing, when people have teammates that they need to practice with. And so these people didn't just throw in the towel. They didn't just say, man, this is too hard. I'm not going to do it anymore. Instead, they found different ways to train. So there are story after story that the commentators have been sharing with us throughout the Olympics and throughout the different sports. So I'm going to share a couple with you. Um, the first is a synchronized swimmer. She bought a kiddie pool, and I don't know how she used a kiddie pool in her training, but she put it in her backyard, and she used that during the shutdown, as well as Zoom, trying to make sure that she had all the movements right with her teammates. Other swimmers, um, because they couldn't get into a pool facility, they decided to go out to a pond, and that sounds fine and dandy until you realize that there were duck mites in this pond, and they were getting bit, and they were getting scratchy skin, and they continued to do it because for them, it was important to continue to train, to continue to give themselves to their craft and to perfect their craft even in the midst of it being hard. Um, we saw people building makeshift training um, facilities in their backyards, and also a rock climber was using her countertops in her kitchen just to simulate um, hanging upside down. And so these people have been really um, just improvising how they were going to go about um, being intentional and being deliberate and being serious about training and working hard to get to this moment where they could perform and show off their skills. Um, it wasn't something that was easy. The other day, um, my husband Aaron and I, we were watching Taekwondo. I don't know if any of you know what Taekwondo is, but it is a martial art, and I didn't know what it was until we started watching it. And I remember saying out loud, saying, hey, that looks super easy. I could do that. And my loving husband laughed at me, and he said, no, you can't. And so after we started to look at it, and we were starting to kind of research what it is that Taekwondo is, you realize that they have subtle movements, but the hand and the feet movements are very precise and very deliberate. And you can't just do that just on a whim. You have to practice. You have to train. Um, that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about practicing church, being intentional, being deliberate, not just sitting here thinking, ah, I'm going to just show up and it's all going to be fine. That isn't church. You are the church. This might trip some people up because for them, church is the thing that you come to on a Sunday morning, as you are doing right now, or you're watching online. You come, you sing some songs, you pray, you hear a good message, and then you might wave to some people. You might say hi to one or two people, say some pleasantries, and then you go on about your day 
And then you don't think about it again until the next time when you step into church, whether it's a Sunday or a Wednesday. Um, Like I said, that isn't church. Instead, you are the church, representatives of Christ, sent out to go and be his hands and his feet in the world around you. Not just when you're gathered with Christians, not just when you're gathered here, but everywhere you are. Your families, your co-workers, when you're at the park, when you're at the grocery store and somebody cuts you off, even in your car. Um, You are the church. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, or scroll with me on your phones. And as you are doing so, we are smack dab in the middle of this book. I'm going to tell you a quick story. When I was in high school, I went to watch a movie, and I was so excited to get my popcorn and my soda and my candy that I waited in a ridiculously long line that I probably shouldn't have done. And when I finally got into the theater, I noticed that the movie had already started, and I was five minutes late. So I missed the setup. I missed the plot. I missed the characters. And I was terribly confused for the entire movie. And I still, to this day, have not watched that movie again. And I don't know what happened. So I don't want that to happen to us. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in Ephesians up to this point. So I told you we're in chapter 4. There's six chapters in Ephesians. And so the first three chapters are really the doctrinal or theological foundation as to what a Christian believes. Um, The Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing it to the Ephesian church, which are faithful followers of Christ. He talks about in the letter that it's not who we are, that has caused us to be saved. It's not credit to us. It's not because we were just the perfect people. We did all the right things. We got those checklists off that we just did. You know, we went to church, check. We did this, check. Yep, we are perfect. That's not what it is. It's because of who Jesus is that he died on the cross for us. We learn that we've been given this gift of salvation, and when we accept it, then we are given the Holy Spirit to live in us and work through us so that we can go out and we are chosen. I heard that from the teens saying that this morning. We are chosen. You're not just somebody over here that's meant to do life by yourself and meant to do Christian, um, the Christian walk by yourself. Instead, you are chosen to be in community, to be the church, and to go out and um, tell people. We also have learned that we are God's masterpiece. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works and he prepared those in advance for us to do. This letter is written to um, both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and there was a big divide between these two people, and Paul says in these first three chapters that it was God's plan to unify all Christians together in who he is. It's because of him that we are a body together. So here in chapter 4, Um, I'm going to go ahead and read to you the first couple verses. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. The Apostle Paul wasn't some willy-nilly Christian, if you know what I mean. He wasn't somebody who said, these are all the things that you're supposed to do. I'm going to write them down in my letter, I'm going to send them off, and then I'm going to live a completely different life. Instead, he was so transformed by his encounter with Christ, and he's encouraging us to do the same. This is what he lived. He was completely 100% different because of who God was in his life. And he isn't pointing out our shortcomings here. He isn't saying, you need to do this because you're supposed to. He wants you to live the life that God has called you because you have purpose in your life. If you're walking around thinking, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He's saying, this is it. God has called you. He has chosen you. You are special and you have a purpose. He begs us to lead a life worthy of the calling that we've received from God, which is to be the church. Remember, he's talking to the faithful followers in the church in Ephesus here. So he's talking to everybody. He's not talking to just the Sunday school teachers. He's not talking to just the youth group workers. He's not talking to just the pastors or those faithful volunteers that show up to every single thing and we can call upon them and they're going to be faithful. Instead, he is talking to anyone who professes faith, the believers. He's saying, this is your calling. This was meant to be a circular letter, we think. It's not talking about something specific that was happening in the church in Ephesus. Instead, this letter was meant to be handed out to church, to church, to church, to church, because this was the good news that not only has God saved you, but now you are given a purpose to join together with him and to go out, to build his kingdom. Uh, church, it's not a country club. We don't get to decide who gets to be members of our church based on all these things that they do. We don't get to decide, hmm, you're not allowed to come in because I saw what you did on Saturday night. Instead, he is saying that we are to be humble and gentle and patient with everyone. I told you earlier that this letter was written to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. These were two very different groups of people. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they were divided because the Jewish people said, we are chosen, we're over here, God loves us more, we are special, you are not, you don't understand, you don't have our traditions, you don't have our practices, you're not doing it right. And at the same time, in the letter in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and what we read throughout the Bible is that Jesus came for all people. It was in his plan to come together to join everybody into his family. You are adopted when you say, cover me with your grace. Give me that gift of salvation. So every one of us who professes that faith are together. It doesn't matter who this person is. It doesn't matter who this person is. God came for them and he wants us to see people through his eyes. He wants us to always be patient, always be humble, always be gentle, not just to certain people, not just to the people that we see fit. Instead, maybe that's where we're at today. Maybe we are doing the church thing, we're here, and yet we leave here and we see people and we're super judgmental. We're thinking, man, 
they're not following the Bible. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says to always be patient, humble, and gentle, no matter who you're encountering. So when you have these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians, it might be easy to be like, "Mm, you're too hard to love. Mm, We don't really like you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that we are joined together. So how are you doing practicing the church, just like the Olympians that they have to practice and they have to perfect their skill? Are you practicing what God has called you to? I ask myself this question every once in a while, and the question is, if others around me heard that I am a Christ follower, would they believe it? I allow the Holy Spirit to convict me in those moments of, are people being able to tell? Sometimes I try to have an excuse, I guess, and say, well, they can see it by my actions, right? I don't, I don't do these things. I, I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't, I'm not mean to people. So they must be able to tell that I am a Christ follower. But sometimes that's not enough. I'm convicted in those moments. Are you really being intentional with what God has called you to? Are you really living out the purpose that God has called in your life to go out make disciples, to love others. So I challenge you, if you're willing, to ask yourself that question too. If people around you, your co-workers, your family members, found out that you are a Christ follower, would they believe it? We're also called to make every effort to keep ourselves united together in the Spirit, to live as one regardless of denomination, regardless of the location that you're at or the specific local church that you go to. So it's super exciting to hear about this this morning. I had not heard about it yet, but this is what that is. This is the body of believers coming together. Or when we do the 14 days of praise down in Brackenberry Square, you see Christians that you don't get to see all the time, and you get to realize that we are worshiping the same God, this one true God that we learned about at VBS, And um, so I'm just super excited that we are able to do that because if we just decide to keep into our own little bubble, then we're not realizing exactly the gravity of the body of believers which Christ has called. Um, Over the last year and a half, Jay had mentioned that it has been pretty difficult. Um, A lot of things have changed. Um, We've had to really rethink a lot of things that we've done, just basic basic things. Um, I was working as a children's pastor back in March of last year when this all happened, and I had already prepared and planned to start Vacation Bible School in the summer. I was excited. I had picked our theme. I had started getting people ready to go. I was all in, running full speed ahead, and then we realized that it probably wasn't going to work out, and I held on, and I thought, "Mm, we're going to be able to do it. And then over time, it became very apparent that it was going to be canceled. And I was devastated because I thought, we need to have people come into our church. We need to tell people. Um, But through that process, I started to look online, started to research. And there was a pastor in Tennessee who was thinking the same thing. And he thought, what are we going to do in the midst of not being able to do church the way that we normally do? What can we do? And he got together with people all over the world, leaders that he knew, people he didn't know that all came together, and they created a global virtual VBS for the first time, and they did it, they liked it so much that even though churches were open this year, they did it again this year. 
And we got to worship with 67 different countries and kids all around the world. And our kids at our church may have never been able to see that the church of God is in Africa. The church of God is in Europe. It's in Mexico. It's down the road at another place. It's in the United States. The church of God is so huge. And it's because we worship the same God. And so I encourage you to see what is it that you can do as the global church. I'm excited for our centennial offering. Um, Let's see if I don't mess this up. So our centennial offering is for going to Cyprus, which is a island in the Mediterranean Sea. I looked it up. It's the third most populated island. People come. It's very touristy. And in this place, we are going to be joining together with making purchasing a building um, to be uh, a training center for missionaries and people who are coming in the countries that aren't able to necessarily have Christian influence. It's by Turkey and Syria. Um, It's a place where we might not be able to go to those places, but missionaries can come, be refreshed, be trained, be taught in Cyprus where it is neutral. It's okay to be able to talk about Christ and then go back out. How did I do? Perfect. Um, This is exciting because for our centennial, we're not just thinking about what we've done here for 100 years and how great we are and pat ourselves on the back. Instead, it's how can we continue to live the mission that God has called us? How can we partner with God's church and other places so that we can continue to build disciples? Because we may never step foot on the island of Cyprus. And yet God's influence is there and his significance is there. And we as a body of believers can come together and make disciples and go to the ends of the earth. I'm super excited about that project. Here is what it continues to say starting in verse 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This, is, uh, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I'm going to do a brief caveat. Verses 8 through 10 here. Um, which we just, well, some of what we just read, is kind of an aside in Paul's text. It's a bit of a digression from where we're going. So Pastor Paul let me know that I could put him on the spot, and he said that he will do a video this week and give verses 10, 8 through 10, the attention it desire, or the attention that it deserves because we're not going to be able to touch on it this morning. Um, So moving on, so intentionally practicing being the church and living out our call and the purpose that God has given us first is to always be humble, always be gentle, and always be patient. Next, we are reminded that we are joined together with believers everywhere because we believe in the same God, the same Lord who is working in all and through all. 
the Apostle Paul goes on to share that the next way to be the church intentionally is to do ministry. So if we're going to be the church, we need to do the work of the church deliberately. It's not one of those, well, somebody else is going to do it, so I'm off the hook. That person's going to get talked to. Oh, that person will be prayed for. I don't have to worry about it. Instead, we are called to do ministry. Unity doesn't always mean uniformity. So when we are united in the Spirit, we are united with Christ, um, he gives us different talents. He gives us different gifts, different passions, different abilities, and he uses these to further the kingdom. The Apostle Paul lists off various gifts here. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors or shepherds in some of your Bibles, and teachers. I had said earlier that when we are adopted, when we accept the gift of salvation, then we are filled with his Holy Spirit. And it is through the Holy Spirit living in us and working in us that we are able to do the ministry of the church. We can't do it on our own. Apostles are those who extend the gospel. They're the ones who are sent out, continuing to make sure that the gospel message and the good news continues to be shared. Prophets are those who are particularly attuned to God and share that truth and that hope with us today. They encourage the church to obey what God has commanded. Evangelists are those who communicate the gospel, who share their testimony, and are focused on people outside of the church. Pastors and shepherds are those who are nurturing, who care for other people, who develop disciples, build those relationships. And teachers are people who understand, who explain, and who guide. Maybe we're concerned that we're not the right person for the job. We're not the right person to be able to do ministry. Maybe we don't think that we have the skills or the abilities to do what we are called to do. But let me tell you, God is not calling perfect people. Instead, he calls imperfect people, and it's his perfect Holy Spirit working through us, and it's because he is perfect that we are able to go out and be his hands and his feet. There are example after example in the Bible of people who are saying, yes, Lord, use me. I am willing to go, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if it's something I'm not quite comfortable with. And there's these examples where God uses them and brings about his kingdom. I think of Moses. When Moses was told, you are the one chosen to go to tell, to talk to Pharaoh, Moses says, who am I? Who am I to go do that? I'm this lowly person. They're not wanting me, I promise you. They do not want me. To, they, don't, they don't want me there. Um, and yet he said, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, it's not because of who you are. It's because I am who I am. It's not about you. It's not about your what you think you can do, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit, and you are going to go, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. It is not about you. It is about me. Moses was a man who struggled with his speech, but yet he was used by God because he was willing to say yes. I think of the woman at the well that Jesus encountered. She came after hearing the good news of Jesus, that he's the living water. She ran back to our village because it was too good of news not to share. And many people heard and believed in Jesus that day and realized that this was the Messiah that was there. 
This was a lady who was shamed in her village. She had five husbands and was living with somebody who wasn't her husband, and yet it was through this imperfect person that God chose to bring about his kingdom. When we are willing to trust in him and we are willing to follow him, he is faithful to equip us. Sometimes people want to fill out spiritual, assess- or spiritual gift assessment quizzes. I don't know if any of you have done that. Those are great tools to begin to show you where you might fit in ministry, but I caution you not to think that that is all you are able to do in ministry. It's not a box over here that you put yourself into saying, ooh, it says I'm a teacher, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, it says I have the gift of administration. That's all that I am able to do in the body of Christ. Instead, God can bust those boxes wide open, and he says that if you are willing to follow me, I can use you in the way that I am able to use you. Sometimes we may be out of our comfort zone, but God is faithful to equip us and empower us through the Holy Spirit. You may not think that you fit into any one of the categories that Paul gave perfectly. You may not think, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an evangelist, and I'm not a um, teacher. Thank you, a teacher. Um, But sometimes God will bring us to situations where we can speak the truth and hope and love gently to people like a prophet. Sometimes he will bring us to situations where we can share the good news of the gospel like an evangelist. Sometimes we are called to care and build relationships with somebody who needs to experience God's comfort, like a pastor or like a shepherd. To live a life worthy of the calling we have received, to to live in the purpose that God has given us, is to be willing to say yes. In chapter, or in verse 14, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So in order to intentionally practice church, we first need to be humble and gentle and patient. Then we need to remember that we are part of a global church. Our significance is great when we come together and we realize that it's not just us It's not just our church, but we are together in the community and the family of God. Then next, to do church, we have to be the church. We have to go and do ministry. And here it says the reason is so that we can grow together. Getting to see believers and to be encouraged by other people um, is God's very design for the church. We were never meant to do church on our own. We were never meant to be Christian by ourselves. Often I hear, you do you. You go do that over there. I'm going to go do this over here. That's not what God called us to. God called us to be united together, to be supported by each other, to be encouraged, to be prayed for, to be held accountable, to be loved, comforted, and listened to and heard. We have to be walking together to know what's going on in people's lives. 
So again, for those who are thinking, I can just slip into church, I can slip out of church, or maybe I can just kind of worship on my own. Again, that's not God's design. We need to be present with each other. If we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're going to mourn with those who mourn, then we need to know what's going on in each other's lives. We need to be present. We need to talk to people. We need to say, hello, how can I be praying for you? How was your week? Simple as that, and you can start building those relationships with people in the church. I encourage you to get connected, to plug in with other believers, because then you can be supported, encouraged, prayed for, and prayed over. When we commit to practicing our faith, then good things happen. Um, There are studies out there that show that kids or teens who continue to have a strong faith in God into adulthood had some commonalities. The first they see is that parents really do make a difference. So for you parents out there, if you have kids of any age, um, continue to model what the Christian walk looks like. It's not just about, oh, I'm going to just show them my actions and that's enough. Not only show them your actions, but talk to your children. Be having those conversations. Be that evangelist in your family and tell them about your faith. Join together with your families. The other thing that they found is that not only are parents important, but they have a five-to-one rule of kids and teens that have made faith a priority in their adulthood. That means that five people outside of their parents who are strong Christians, who have strong walks together, are banning together with them, coming together, praying over, walking with them, doing life with them. They can walk into the church and say, man, I know that person is praying for me. I know that person is praying for me. That person, they spent their whole Sunday helping with an event. This person did that, but it's, an, it's about doing life with them. And that's why I'm so excited about the prayer partner ministry here because that is what it is. When we connect with somebody, you can be that one person in their life that builds up those five people. So I encourage you, if you are not part of that program or you don't have somebody that you're pouring into, then maybe this is the time where you pray and ask God, who can you send to, or who can you send me to to be able to pray over and to be able to love on them? I imagine that this model is true for adults too. It's not just for kids. So adults who are sitting there thinking, I don't have people connected in my life. I don't have other Christian friends. I don't have people who I, who I talk to about the hard things. Then I encourage you, get connected to a small group, to a Bible study. Have a time and a place where you can talk to people in the church to be built up together, to be encouraged in faith, to be held accountable in love and gentleness to be strengthened, and to be surrounded by hope. It's so important to not try to do this walk on your own because that was not how God intended it. So this morning, we are going to partake in communion together. Um, So if you did not receive um, a little cup with the little wafer, um, Ken and Gina Getman, they're walking out there. They're going to come back in with some. They're prepared to give them out if you did not get one. So if you don't, when they come back in, just raise your hand, get their attention, and they'll make sure that you have um, the elements. Um, We come to communion remembering what Christ has done in our lives. We remember the sacrifice of Christ and how that should transform our lives. 
When we truly accept God's grace and truly let it pour over us, then we can't be the same. We are not the same person that we were before when we were living in sin. Instead, we are covered in the grace of the God who created us, the God who created the entire world. You are so important to him, and that's what we remember when we come to communion, that sacrifice. Here in the Church of the Nazarene, we practice open communion, which means that you don't need to be a member of this church. You don't need to be baptized in order to partake in communion. Instead, this meal is for anyone who is genuinely seeking God and reaching out his direction, saying, I want more of you in my life. And if that's you today, we invite you to join us at the table of the Lord. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was gathered together with his disciples in community. It wasn't just him on his own. He was with his closest followers. They were celebrating what God has done in their life at the Passover feast. It was a time to remember how God is faithful. And this morning we are doing the same, to remember how God has worked in our lives and how that should change us. We're commanded um, to practice communion. God told us multiple times, or Jesus told us multiple times at the table to do this often and to do it to remember me. When you take the bread and you drink of the cup, that we are to remember their Savior and our Messiah. We're reminded of the sacrifice Christ made. We're reminded that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that is working in us to be able to be sent out. Communion is a time to reflect, to remember, to grow individually, but also to grow as a community. Because like I said, we come to the same table. We come with the same host. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we will partake. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together, we can gather together in your name with the body of believers. God, we, we don't forget the sacrifice of Jesus coming, dying on the cross and paying the price for our sins. The debt that we owed is no longer there because Christ took it upon himself. God, we, we come and we don't want this to just be the end of our story. We want to go out into the world and continue living the life that you have called Christ followers to. We pray that you will use us, that you will fill us, equip us, and empower us to be changed believers out in the world to share, other, or to share with others what we believe. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, we're reminded that Jesus took the bread he gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will, um, for us, make these elements today truly the body and the blood of Christ, that we can truly feel the weight of, of the sacrifice that God made and the debt that he took off our shoulders. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So on that night, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat.
Likewise, he took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for you. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of him. God, we thank you. We are so indebted to you. We know that we are unable to rely on ourselves. Instead, we are wholly dependent on you and your saving grace that has come over us. God, we thank you for the gift that you have given every single one of us, not based on who we are, not based on what we've done, but because of who you are. God, use us for those who are unsure how to get connected. God, may people ban around them. May we connect with those who are on the outskirts of the church. For those who don't know how to do ministry, God, we pray that you present opportunities that they can see that you have called them and you will equip them even when it's out of their comfort zone. God, for those who, who need to just grow in your grace and grow in maturity, may we as a body of believers, as your family, come together. May you bless the project in Cyprus. May you bless churches everywhere gathered together today that we are gathered in their name or in your name with them. God, we thank you. We pray that you use us. We are here saying, God, use me no matter what it entails. We are willing. We are imperfect, but you are a perfect God. You are giving us your perfect Holy Spirit to be able to be empowered and to go out. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to pray this over you. This is from Ephesians chapter 3. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.